Good morning again. Here we are, huh? Second round. Some of you came back. Praise God. <laughs> this is, uh, it's been a heavy week for me, but uh, I've, had a, I've had a really good time uh, piecing this together. I hope as I piece it together that it, it really makes a little sense to you guys. Uh, we've been in Psalm 119. Last week we went through verses 1 through 8, 1 through 9, 1 through 8, and today we get to go through verses 9 through 16. And I want to start with a verse out of, uh, out of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and open them up. Go to Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. My translation is coming out of the English Standard Version. I believe most of you in the pews will have a New International Version there. And of course, we'll have the, the slide up on top for you. And this is what God's Word says. He says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard, for you neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? And neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, no one will go, who will go over to the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. How cool is that, huh? In verse 9... Psalm 119, the psalmist starts off with, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the short answer from that is, according to your word. When I first started to look at this, and, and I, love this, I love this psalm, the entire psalm. It is, it is a character-building character psalm. All 22 sections will, will, will turn your life upside down and, and begin to change you in, in many, many ways. When I first used to look at this, how can a young man keep his way pure? You know, by living according to your word, says the NIV. I even wrote a, wrote a song, you know, just because I liked, I liked the way it came out. It was so easy. How can you do this? A, B, C, D, E, and I've got it done. But that's not what the psalmist is saying. He wants us to consider something completely different. The, the formula aspect of it, in order to get to God's purity, to get to his holiness, it's never, it's never mechanical. It's never do A, B, C, and then you're there. Then you're holy. Then you're pure. What the psalmist, I believe, had on his mind was that because he understood that he was impure, that in the sight of God he was unworthy, he said, how is it possible that I can make my way pure before a holy God. And that's a deeper how than the first one. So he was contemplating it. Now the, the word young man in, in the original language stands for um, anyone from an infancy up to adolescence. It, uh, it can also stand for a young servant male or female. 
But I think what the psalmist had in mind also, or at least I do now, some of the commentaries that I read concerning this phrase, young man, speaks of those that are just like in First John, as, as John was talking to the young, the young men, the young women also. When he mentions young, he mentions those that, that, are, that forget much easier than a mature adult. Young people, as they're learning principles, tend to forget them as they grow into adolescence. Young adulthood. They tend to forget the things that were taught to them earlier a lot quicker than, than a maturing adult does because of experiences, because of trials, of tribulations that we normally go through in, in this growing up process that we have. So for me, I was trying to find a picture that would help us in, in concerning this young man. I found, I found a couple of pictures that, that showed this one here. Michael, Pastor Michael found this one for me. You show, you show a person in a, in a single path and sort of like a young believer or a young, a young person. And they're just finding their way through their relationship with God. And they have this single path that they're walking. Dangers on both sides. They're not sure where they're going. And, and they could easily go to the right, go to the left, and, and experience all kinds of stuff that will just hopefully bring them back to the center. Um, the young sinner, the young man, they have no no broad path that they've beaten yet. The, the path isn't smooth yet from all, all the different circumstances that, that life has brought upon them and they've learned how to deal with. Uh, the, young, the young sinner, the young, the young person, still has, they still have their personal ways uh, of offense. Uh, they still hide their secret pollutions. There's no trust in, other, in others yet in, 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 being, in having someone else that, that they, could have, they could be confident in speaking to. And, and, and grow in trust. Um, how can these, these young folks be cleansed? And, and how, can, how can he be saved and, and from what he knows and understands at that particular time? He understands the things that will, that will destroy his mind, his body, and soul. He's learning as compared to, to the mature believer who has gone down this path many times the broad, the broad road, we can see the many footsteps are there because we, those that are mature, have gone up and down this road. All the pitfalls are still there. All the trials, all the issues are still there. But they, in the learning process of trusting God, they've beaten this path that they know is sure and it's straight. And it keeps them from going to the left if God doesn't want them to go to the left or going to the right if God doesn't want them to go to the right. All the issues are still there, but in their maturity, in their trust in God, they're able to make, make this path a lot wider because they know it's safe. They know it's straight. And know, they know it'll take them to the destination that they're heading for, as opposed to all the surprises that, that can come up when we have no rules, no regulations in how we live. Now, the word pure in the original means to be clean, means to be pure, and to be clear. The root word means to be translucent. So we come back to how can a young man keep his way pure? Right? How can I keep it clean? How can I keep it pure? So if we, 
if we have this person looking at it from fleshly eyes, that is, the one who maybe doesn't have a relationship with God, the person who has, bless you, has not received, received that call, doesn't have that pounding in the heart that God is calling them to a relationship. He still has those deep memories of, of, of his frailties, the knowledge of how short he comes before God. Even a young believer can do that. And he wonders, knowing who I am, especially when I'm by myself, how can my way become pure before this holy God? Well, the psalmist gives us the remedy, gives us a description. He says, by guarding it according to your word, O Lord. By, by guarding my way of living. Now, when I look at this young man, I have a different picture on it because I see a young believer. And this young believer can be 89 years old because they've just entered into a relationship with Christ. So for me, it doesn't matter how old you are. Chances are there's someone that's younger but been walking in, in maturity a lot longer. So you fit into this category, young man. If you're a young believer, this, this fits you perfectly because however long God will keep you on this planet, he wants your life, your habitual way of living, to be pure. So we, as believers... We must examine our way of living according to God's word if we want it to muster up to this purity that he's called us to. We have to carefully hear what God has said concerning us, the way we live, the manner of life that we experience day to day. We must take heed. The word means to keep, to keep guard, to preserve this way, this general course of life from all defilement. When I saw this word guard, I, I was hoping to get a picture that had, at first I saw you know, two, two, two soldiers, two sentries, just keeping watch over something. And I said, that's not enough. What I'd like to see is two pit, two pit bulls, you know, behind this fence, guarding. And this is how we're to be when it comes to God's word as it infiltrates our life. And how we live. We are to guard it. And be on guard. As, as he begins to increase our knowledge. In how we are to live this life. In Exodus 18.20. Moses wrote. And you shall warn them. About the statutes and the laws. And make them know the way. In which they must walk. And what they must do. So by guarding it according to his word, I think the word, the word should, should be rendered more easily for us by observing what is according to your word, O oh God. It is God's word which shows how a sinner is to be cleansed from his sins by the blood of Christ. It is God's word that shows us how we are justified by the righteousness of Christ. His word shows us how we can be clean through his word. And how and whom the work of sanctification that is being separated unto what God has for us. As it's brought into our hearts. And he's given us his Holy Spirit also by the means of his word. 
So what should be the guiding force of a man's walk, our walk, and our conversation with God? The force that, that will allow us to find the word of God to be profitable. It will inform us and keep us informed in the doctrines of justification and pardon. God is the one, as, as, as we declare that, that, that he who died on that tree, he who died on that cross for us, he did. We believe that to be true. Like Abraham, we receive that you're justified. And then he separates, he pardons us in order to fulfill the good works that he has for us in his life. We become more familiar and, and get to understand the nature of regeneration, being born again, and the sanctification, being separated unto what God has for us to do. And for the, the correction and the improvement that he wants to make in our everyday life. And it's a 24-7 thing. And the corrections that he makes, he makes in our life. He makes in our mannerisms. For his instruction, he wants to, he wants to bring a rebirth to every branch of righteousness that will be part of our life. Because by ourselves, we don't have any. It's in Christ alone that we have righteousness. Remember, before God, we are impure. We're, the Old Testament says, our good deeds are like filthy rags. There's nothing, there's nothing good until Christ comes onto the scene. And then we receive his justification not guilty, and then we receive his righteousness and he separates us from what we used to be to do the things that he's called us to. This is a declaration that Paul made in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? As we, as we allow God and his word to infiltrate our lives, to take, take management over it. He begins, to, he begins to trim the fat, okay? He begins to remove the things that do not need to be there, and he begins to bring on the things that should be there. And as we take heed of that, as we begin to understand what he's saying is true, and, and he shows us our shortcomings and how to remove those things and bring on the new things that he has for us, we begin to grow. We, we begin to mature. The path is, 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 is not laden with these awkward footsteps. We begin to understand the boundaries more. They're, they're more defined. We begin to understand what's on the right we need to stay away from and what's on the left we need to stay away from. 
But he broadens the path for us and he makes it more and more safe and more secure because we're trusting him that the way he's leading us is correct and it's safe. In verse 10, the psalmist, the psalmist proclaims, with all my heart, we talked about that last week. That phrase, with all my heart, means total and complete submission. Totally committed to God. With all my heart, I've sought you. And he says, do not let me wander from your commandments. From your word, from your precepts, from your law, from the Torah, from the ordinances, from the scriptures, from your regulations. Let me be fully committed to what you have said about not only who I am, who I was, who I am now, and who you want me to be. In the New Testament, it says that one, the thing that, that, that God has in mind for you and me is to make us into the image of his son. Every pressure, every circumstance, every trial has in mind that he is shaping us into the image of Christ our Lord. That's the process that's going on. When issues come into our life, there are those that have said we, are to, we should embrace them, knowing that God has allowed them in, and he has a way that he'll walk us through those issues. He will. We have to trust him. In verse 11, he says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And these two verses remind us that we must internalize the word of God. It is the believers, those of us that know him, it is our best weapon to defend against encroaching sin. You all remember what God told Cain about the encroaching sin? Let me remind you, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? And if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. So, how do we treasure God's word in our heart? Only through the Holy Spirit. And God has given us, right, his Holy Spirit when he justifies us. When he causes us to be born again, John 14 says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Paracletus, the one who comes alongside, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you. I said that, didn't I? Yet a little while also, no, yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father. I am in my Father, and you and me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, guards them, protects them, right? 
He it is, he it is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest him, myself to him. When we receive God's Holy Spirit, we receive his power. We receive power to be effective in whatever ministry he calls us to. We receive power to make disciples because we've been called to do that, Matthew 28, right? Jesus said, all, all, all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? And he says, I, I give you, I want you to go out and make disciples, teaching them all that I have taught you and then baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have been called to go out. We have, through the Holy Spirit, the power to, to fight temptation. By yourself, you can't do it. But through his Holy Spirit, you can fight it. Temptation is not a sin, guys. Through his power, we, we have the power to be helped and to help. We have the power to receive somebody coming alongside and helping us. And then we have the power through the Holy Spirit to go alongside someone and help them. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive the power to love. And those that are hard to love, we can love them. Those irregular people that God puts into our lives, we have the power to love them. And each other. Did not the master say that? This is, this is not a new commandment, but it is a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, for they will know that you belong to me when they see how you love each other. My paraphrase. With the Holy Spirit, we have the power to endure until the end. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been given the power to hope. In Romans, you'll find that. It's in Romans. It says that that hope, because we've been given the Holy Spirit, that hope will never fail. In verse 12, the psalmist says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. If you remember from last week, when we use the word blessed, when we speak of man, we speak of one who is happy or full of joy. But when we speak of God, we speak of one, one who is perfect, one who is above the heavens. And this is God. He is blessed. And he's blessed because of his nature. He's holy. He's blessed because of his persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, He's blessed because he's perfect. Because of his perfections, he's blessed. He's blessed because he is the fountain of all happiness, both to angels and to men, in this time now and to all eternity. Because all blessing, honor, and glory are rightly his forever. Amen. We should be begging God to become our teacher that our hearts and consciences might be instructed in the spirituality of his statutes, of his laws, his precepts, his ordinances, 
his Torah, his scriptures. Gill's com commentary reads like this. The knowledge of the best is imperfect. Good men desire to know more of God, of his mind and will, even of, us, even of his revealed will, and that they may have grace and strength to act in conformity to it. For it is not the bare theory of things that they desire to be taught, but the practice of them. And though ministers in the ministry of the word and the administration of ordinances may be and are means of teaching, yet there is none teaches like the Lord, like the Father, like the Son, like the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, the psalmist goes on to say, I proclaim with my mouth all the rulings that you have spoken. Now, I've heard many of you do the same things in, in proclamation of who God is. You proclaim his faithfulness, don't you? I hear, I hear the musings. I hear the talkings, you know, and when we talk to each other. You're, you're praising him. And you're, 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 pro, you're proclaiming how good he is because of salvation, because of your grandkids, you know, because of your kids, because of a job that you received. God receives the honor and the glory for that. And the psalmist teaches us some things concerning that. In Psalm 119, verse 46, the psalmist says, I will speak of your instructions even to kings without being shamed, without being ashamed. When's the last time you spoke to, some, to someone, friend or foe, about what God is teaching you in your life, things that have gone awry because of your actions, and proclaim them without being ashamed? If he's working in you, there's no shame. You know that God is working. Even, even if you fall short, it's okay. He says, get up. Let's learn the lesson and let's get going. Because he's not done. There's no shame in acknowledging that God Almighty is working in your life. And he's promised to complete what he started. Philippians. The good work that he began in you and me, he promises that he will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. You and I can take that to the bank. In Psalm 119, verse 172, the psalmist proclaims, Let my tongue sing of your promise, because all your commands are righteous. Some of the songs that we had this morning. They were, they were, they were ringing out with their tongues, right? The promises of God's commands. Don't we do that? Because if we don't, we should. Of course, you have to think of what some of his commands are. You know, start with the simple ones. Start with the big ten. And go from there. You, you could take the simple How about being courteous, being kind? Being a peacemaker. Being helpful to someone. Thinking of others more than you think of yourself. Praying for someone. See, we can do that. And in those times, we proclaim that God is residing and working in us. In Psalm 34, 12, the psalmist says, Come, children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear 
of Adonai, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. Isn't that how we're raising our children? I know some of your parents. That's exactly what you're doing. And we are to call them alongside, whether we're, we're walking by a stream or taking a path, sitting down to dinner, on the phone, texting, emailing. We can teach them many things about the fear of the Lord. Lord. Assuming we've learned those things, okay? Assuming we, you know, we can proclaim that we're learning about the fear of the Lord. Take those lessons. Don't keep them to yourself. Give them to your, your children. Give them to your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. Anyone who God brings to, to, into your path. And, and it was easier before because then it, you would have to wait till you were face to face. You don't have to do that anymore. See, now you have your iPhone, you know, now you have your computer, you have your iPad. You have so many different ways of communicating with people, and you can communicate and proclaim God, our Savior, until he takes you home. No excuse for any of us. Psalm 40, 9, 10. Again, the psalmist says, I have proclaimed glad tidings, happy things, right? Of righteousness in the great congregation. Now, this is for us. We're right here. He says, behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord. You know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness or your truth from the great congregation. Did that happen to you and because of you this morning? As you met and mused with others within the congregation? This is the great congregation here. We are that portion this morning. Have you proclaimed to each other? Have you proclaimed the righteousness that God is bringing forth? Unfolding before your very eyes if you're willing to have that vision? Don't miss, on, don't miss out on that before you leave today. Do that. Don't, don't, let that, don't let that skip. Don't let, it, don't let your mind think that it's something that just doesn't mean that much. Get out of your comfort zone, Christian. Take a risk and love people. And proclaim to them who God is. Psalm 71, 15 through 19. The Living Bible the psalmist proclaims it like this. He says, I cannot count the times when you have faithfully rescued me from danger. Come on, we can all say that. I will tell everyone how good you are and of your constant daily care. I walk in the strength of the Lord God. I tell everyone that you alone are just and good. Oh God, you have helped me from my earliest childhood. And I have constantly testified to others of the wrong, of the wonderful things that you do. And now that I am old and gray, don't forsake me. Give me time to tell this generation and their children too about all your mighty miracles. 
your power, your goodness. Lord, they reach to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Where is there another God like you? In verse 14, the psalmist says, I rejoice in the way of your instruction more than any kind of wealth. The Bible testifies of God and Christ directing us to Christ himself, the only way of life and salvation. John 5, 39 testifies to this. He says, you search the scriptures for you believe that they will give you eternal life and the scriptures point to me. Yet you won't come to me so that I may give you this eternal life. Believers, we are to walk in rejoicing because of this. We rejoice in his person. We rejoice in his office, his offices, priest, prophet, king, savior. We rejoice in his grace. And we rejoice in his righteousness and his salvation. It's been said that the lesser ways the scriptures point unto are the ways of duty and path, the paths of ordinances, in which truly gracious souls find a great deal of peace, pleasure, and delight. The primary things have to do with the knowledge of who he is and then what he's done. In Clark's commentary, he writes, we must consider it our chief happiness to be found in the path of obedience, giving our whole heart and strength to God. And when enabled to do it, we should rejoice more, than, more in it than if we had gained thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Oh, how great is the treasure of attending or a tender and approving conscience. That, that word, I will rejoice, the definition of that is to be jumping and skipping around with happiness. We've all done, we've all done that at some time. For, for, for either winning something or, or, or a birthday, we've all done that jump and hop. And you who and whatever we say, we've done that in those happy moments. This is what it means to rejoice in him. In verse 15, he says, the psalmist says, I meditate on your precepts. And I keep my eyes on your ways. Pardon me. We should encourage self-examination and reflection. We should meditate frequently on God's words, on his works, his ways, and especially on his gracious dealings towards us on a daily basis. We should keep our eyes on God's steps, setting the example of his Savior before our eyes. We should be careful where we go. We should only go where he sends us and nowhere else. We should do only what he calls us to do and nothing else. And we should keep, we should keep company that he would want us to keep and no one else. And in everything we do in reference to the final judgment that comes. In verse 16, the psalmist says, I will find my delight in your regulations. Same word, commandments, 
Torah, rulings, scripture, precepts, utterances. Don't, don't get hung up on those little words. The law, it's there. He says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I delight myself in looking over them. I am to delight myself in meditating over them. I should delight myself in obeying them, in walking according to them, as every good man does delight in the law of the Lord, especially in the inner man. The outer man can't do that. The flesh left to itself will do exactly what the flesh wants to do. But we have been given the Holy Spirit. The inner man entertains God and only God. In Romans 7, 21 through 22, the English Standard Version translates, And so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. If you should know anything at all, you should know that the inner man, the one that has been transformed, truly wants nothing else but God. If we could just get that through our, through our hearts, through our, through our skulls. It is the flesh that wants nothing to do with what God has. But the soul... The spirit that has been revi revived, it wants to totally entertain everything and anything that God has for it. We should remember that. The inner man wants to seek, seek God. In Romans 6, we're told about the conflict of, of, of the flesh versus the spirit. And Paul unveils this, this, this principle that he understands that, that sin has been left in the flesh. And there's a battle that goes on between the spirit and the flesh. But the mandate that's been left for us is that we who are now righteous and justified in Christ and have received the Holy Spirit, we are now to no longer allow the flesh to do whatever it wants. We are now to tell the members of our flesh, our eyes, you can't look at that anymore. Our ears, hey, you can't listen to that kind of stuff anymore. Our hands... You can't do that anymore. Our feet, you don't go in that direction anymore. Our tongues, you can't talk like that anymore. On many occasions, I've, I've had believers in conversations. We'll, they'll stop the conversation short and they'll tell me, pardon my French. And I have to remind them what they just said wasn't French. <laughs> I, under some, I understand some things about that language and it wasn't French. You see? And God's word says that you, we, should have, we should let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth except that which is encouraging to the body. So if you still have that habit of speaking French, stop. That's not for you as a believer. There are plenty of wholesome words that conversation can take place with. There's a word for that. I don't want to use it. In Psalm 119, verse 24, he says that your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Some of us, 
understand that, understand that. Some of us don't. My ear just closed up. Some of, some of us don't. His word is meant to shape you, to form you into what God has in mind from Genesis to Revelation. In his word is his counsel. You're looking for counsel? Go to God first. God will lead you to other people for safety. It's been said that we are to talk, we are to talk to God first about things of God before we talk to men. Get it right with him first. And he'll give you what you need when you talk to people about God. For many of us, it seems to be the opposite. We'll talk to men first about God before we talk about God, about men. And the, and the psalmist says, I will not forget your word. It has nothing to do with memory loss. It has to do with, God, don't let me abandon your word. Don't let it escape me. Don't let me, don't let me put up a partition between you and your word, between me and your word. Don't let me cause that division between me and your word. You name the things, you all know, we all have these things that causes us to have those divisions, those times where we say there's no time. I will not forget your word. The psalmist took the proper methods to fix it into his memory. He laid it up in his mind. He meditated upon it in his heart. And he talked of it with his lips. That's why memorization is so important, even, even the shortest of verses. And, and, and look, for memorization, some, some can do it word for word. I prefer that those understand the concept of that, that verse of scripture and see the truth in it and memorize that. For some, it's easier. You're never too old to memorize, trust me, never. And, and God will use that memorization for when you have those times when there's no time, you know, and he'll, he'll pop them up. I've known, I've known many believers that have come into these circumstances where they want to talk to an unbeliever. They spent no time with God. Yet when that moment comes, they want God to produce everything in argument or, or verbal you know, confrontation with that person. It can't happen. If it's empty and he reaches in to grab something, what's he going to grab? Nada. Nilch. He'll grab the things that you've been studying. He'll grab the things that you've been contemplating on. He'll grab the things that you've spent so much time on. That may just be the things that that unbeliever wants to hear because they have nothing to do with salvation. Just my take. Pardon me. In Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Primary. Primary for us as believers to store up his word in our heart. Right? In our minds. Is that we saw that picture of that broad road. There was one that I saw. There was a nice, smooth, beaten path. 
and they're, you know, you see, you see these type of fences on, on, uh, in beaches, especially on the East Coast. And they have these, these, these real narrow wooden slats that are tied together with wire. And they're never straight. They're always leaning because people are always running into them, you know. But they're still up. The fence is there. The, the, the path is, is broad. It's smooth. And all the obstacles that you could possibly get entangled with are, are on the other side. But you keep running into the fence and it keeps pushing you back into that smooth path. I don't know where I was going with that. No, this is, this is, for, this is for us to understand that those obstacles will, will always be there. But the more, the more you grow in Christ, the more maturity comes into view, the more you allow him to work what he has to work in you. You'll know they're there even if you bump up against them. But you won't climb over the fence. You'll stay on the straight path because you know that's the safe road and that's the road that God wants you on. So in conclusion, who could possibly measure the lasting impact of God's word? This is, uh, this is through, uh, this is something that Chuck Swindoll wrote in his uh, book, The Quest for Character. He says, who can possibly measure the lasting impact of the word of God? In a world without standards, where everything is relative, where the pace is maddening and the prices are soaring, there is a great security in opening God's word, his timeless book, and hearing his voice. It calms our fears. It clears our heads. It cleared my ear. It comforts our hearts. It corrects our walk. And it comforts or confirms our commitment. Let it have its entrance today in your life. Say what young Samuel once said. Speak, for thy servant is listening. And let me end with this. We started with Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. But I'm going to give you the complete Jewish Bible translation. And this is what what Moses wrote. He says, for this command, this mitzvah, which I am giving you today is not too hard for you and it's not beyond your reach. It isn't in the sky that you should need to ask who will go up into the sky for us. Bring it to us and make us hear it so that we can obey it. Likewise, it isn't beyond the sea so that you need to ask who will cross the sea for us. Bring it to us and make us hear it so that we can obey it. On the contrary, Moses wrote, the word is very close to you. It's in your mouth, even in your heart. Therefore, you can do it. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this week as as filled as, as it's been with what you've brought into my life. I thank you. And in and in, in joyful reasoning, Lord, I pray you will continue. Do what you must to me and to every individual here that proclaims that Yeshua is his Messiah, that Jesus is their Lord and their master. Do everything that you must, Lord, to shape us, discipline us, into the image of your son. Don't let us skip a beat. 
Help us to rejoice in your word. Help us to guard your word. Help us to remember that it's you working in us. And help us to remember that you've not left us as orphans. You have given us your Holy Spirit to be able to memorize, to hold on to, to be able to understand, and to be able to do it. Your word is in our hearts. We have no excuse for not doing it. That's what your word has told us. May we, with, with all hope and confidence, do that this day. And we thank you in, in Jesus' precious name.